0: in weather, and is in a foot of snow, and could not get out, and let me know last night uh, that he was not able to speak, but will be back to speak next week. I will put him in the parsonage if I have to, to make sure he stays all night. You want to know the great news? I'm speaking to you. (laughs) Oh, man. And Pastor Tom... You don't have to confirm this with him, but he said, Ryan, there's no one better to start off the Oikos series than you, and so don't confirm it with him, but he did say that. <laughs> but I am I'm, I'm really sorry about that. There's nothing we could do. He was so disappointed, um, but he will be here next week, so if this is, uh, uh, if, if this Oikos series is something you, that grabs your heart, please make sure you come back and hear him, uh, because he really is the, the leader of this Oikos movement. And we, we as a church, we just fully just grabbed a hold of what their church is doing, and he'll do the very best job of bringing the vision of Oikos to our church. So we are in this new series called Oikos, of which I will explain. Our series is is right from the very beginning. We've been praying about this for a year. We've been meeting with the uh, with High Desert Church uh, over this period of time and learning as a staff, as elders, as leadership team, about what it means to be an Oikos-centric church. Why we picked this series is because Chad and I have been feeling this, and our elders have been feeling this as well. Of like, man, this is the time more than ever to really for our church to take ownership. Ownership, I think, ultimately, especially with sharing the gospel with those around us and the people that we love. Ownership, to take ownership in praying for those we love to receive the gospel or those who have gone off to come back. Ownership, to take the initiative to learn and grow so we do what the scripture says, that in, in, in any moment we're ready to give A good answer. Ownership to be open to the Spirit's leading. There are moments when the Spirit is prompt; will prompt you if we're open to then begin to share or begin to serve or in some way to reach out to this person in your life that you, you that you are close with. And I think ultimately, ownership to be a witness and to disciple people to Christ and then through their journey in faith. That is what the church is meant to be. That's what the church's founding was. It started with Christ and these 12 disciples, and then expanded throughout the entire world through this very principle of preaching the gospel to your oikos. Uh, I titled this message. It should be up on the screen. It's, it, and the message is simple, and this is what I want you to grab. is your oikos. I want you to be walking out of this room today thinking about your oikos. And I'll put it very simply what my drive is and what I hope we walk away with is is that the gospel comes to your people. Your people. The people who you're connected with, the people who you love. The people who who are um, a part of your life. That is your oikos your people. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. I just ask that you be with Pastor Tom and Cheryl, God, as they are stuck in a foot of snow. And I ask, God, that you just be with them and prepare their hearts and prepare our church for their message next week. God, and I ask that today that every single person here, God, that we grab the concept of the gospel to those that we love, the gospel to those who are close. And God, I ask that not one person leaves feeling intimidated about sharing the gospel, but feels inspired that they too can participate and must participate in sharing the gospel to fulfill your kingdom, God. We love you. We thank you. I ask that you be with me as I wasn't planning on being here, but God, this is through your work of which your word is delivered, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, over the years, as I've been pastoring for over 20, I've had many people uh, will come to me and they'll say, okay, listen, um, Ryan, I want you to sit down with my friend and I want you to share with them the gospel. No, you want me to sit down with your friend and share with them the gospel. Okay, great. And so they'll bring them in and they'll be like, okay, Ryan, tell them. (laughs) Okay. I'm Ryan. <laughs> it's like, where are you from? Who are you? And they'll just say, set them straight. You got it. Get on it. It's funny because I feel like in those moments, I'm on a blind date. you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking questions like, what's your type? You know, all those kind of questions, you know. But it's, it's me. Sometimes I sit back and I just think, like, it's me on this blind date with this person. I don't know them. I have no credibility. Versus your long relational history of the person sitting with us who brought them. And I find the contrast interesting. And I think also about my relational deficit with the person versus the relational richness with the person. Or I think about my brief words that I might have with somebody Versus their, like, long life witness that that person has had with them. I kind of feel like sometimes, like, the best player is sitting on the bench in those conversations. You know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't be in the game. The very best player is just taking a back seat. They have the most influence with this person. They are a believer. Therefore, they see the same revelation that I see. That they were once dead and now they're alive. And they follow Christ like I follow Christ. But I think sometimes we will do that to ourselves. We will put ourselves on the bench and then think that someone else will really handle this at a professional level. And it's just not true. Not at all. Think about the people in your life. Think, how about this? Let me even bring it back further. You, the re- reason you became a believer was probably because of somebody who was influential in your life. Is that not true? Someone who loved you, who cared about you. Maybe this is the case. You were driving by and you saw someone with a sign that said, turn or burn? And you thought, well, I don't like burning, so I will turn. I guarantee most of us, that's not our story. Someone had influence in our life. Okay, I'm gonna give you three facts every Christian must embrace. I was gonna I was gonna say, that sounds too harsh, Ryan. Like you should name it three realities. And I thought, no, these are facts, and these cannot be disputed. These are facts every Christian must embrace when we think about oikos. One fact one: you are a witness. You have witnessed something. You have a story to tell. You have an experience someone needs to hear. You have an example. You were there on the scene. You are a witness. Uh, I I think about, you know, this one time I was a very up-close witness to an accident because the accident like almost killed me, so I was very much in tune to what was happening. I was finishing a premarriage counseling. It was at night, and I was riding my bike home from where I met them, and I was just riding along the street, like, doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, you know, all happy, and then all of a sudden, from a distance, I see a car coming, and it starts to veer, and I'm like, that's not good, <laughs> right over towards me, and it's going like 45 miles an hour, And then all of a sudden, I'm just like getting nervous. And then it just hits the car that's right by me here, a parked car, and then pushes that car up onto the curb and then almost hits me with my bike and I happen to just get away from it. And I turned around and watched and then the car just slowly pulls over and I'm like, I gotta figure out if that person's okay. Go over there, come to find out. She had worked a long nursing shift and she had fallen asleep at the wheel. And and, and I'm getting this accident. Now, when the police officer came, he didn't want to come. I don't know what that was about. But I I said, you need to be here, okay? I don't know if this lady's okay. He comes. And he asked me to tell me what happened. I give him a detailed example. How far were you from it? I was like, "Ah, feet? I had a good glimpse of what I just saw. I was a good witness. And then someone had come out of the building And the police officer said, oh, can you tell me what happened? And she said, well, I heard the noise. I came out, and then I saw the car pull over, and I don't think she's okay. And by the way, this is my car that was hit. So she had a real deal going on inside. But then I thought, like, we do this a little bit as believers. All of us were like me, who had a very up-close, personal encounter. We, in great detail, know what Jesus did in our life and is doing in our life. We had a very close view. But we treat ourselves like we're the person who said, I heard, I heard something. And so we, we limit our witness to that. But we have an up close personal view of what Jesus did. Let me list what the definition of a witness is. It's on the screen. Having knowledge of an event or change from a personal observation or experience, to make known their experience, to testify to that experience. I believe that Jesus has called every single Christian to be a witness to him, to tell his story. In the story in your life, I love it when someone gets up on the jury stand. I love watching trials, and definitely the most interesting one was the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. When I typed up most entertaining witness, I couldn't even get to, p- I got page five before I saw another trial besides that trial. It was hot, hot, hot. It was good. But they always get up there and they say, Tell the jury what you witnessed. Let's start from the beginning. And then you will hear and you feel like, oh, that's a very credible witness, right? And everyone's leaning in to hear the witness, the eyewitness to what happened. That is you in your Oikos. That is you with the gospel. I think most Christians disqualify themselves from sharing the gospel with others. They will give all of the reasons, like the people who will plop someone down in my office and say, get them. (laughs) I can't. Oh, I don't have have a seminary degree. I didn't go to the religious school. So I I, I can't quite tell them what they need to know. I'm not holy enough. I mean, if these people know me, I still struggle. I still don't have my stuff together. I don't pray enough. I don't read enough. And I don't go to church enough, so I, 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 I don't know if I'm a credible witness. You know, those are all merit things, merit-based things. Those are all things that we work to, to, to just continue to walk like Christ, but that doesn't negate your witness. It doesn't negate what you experienced as a believer. I think a lot of people say, oh, I don't think I'm credible enough. And you know what they do at the jury trials? And, and Mike, you would know this better than me. Mike, one of our elders, he's an attorney, but I, I don't mean any disrespect. But then when, when, when they don't believe the witnesses who were there, then they bring in the expert witnesses. Do you know what I'm talking about? They were not there. <laughs> they, they, they didn't see the scene. They, they don't have a testimony, but they studied it. They looked at it and they could try to present the very best thing that they can do. And we often will call for those people versus someone who uh, is in your life, who needs to hear from the witness, the person they know, the person who is on the scene. I think the modern list in, in, uh, of evangelists, you can put this up on the screen. These are like legends when we think of witnesses, evangelists. They're legends like Wesley, right? Spurgeon, Graham. They evangelize the, 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 uh, England and the United States Prolifically, we go. Wow, that was incredible! You got like Judson, who who really gave his entire life to ministering to thousands. They have a national holiday after him in Burma. Okay, he witnessed to so many people. You got Livingston in Africa. You've got Taylor in China. You've got Elliot to the uh, so the Uka Indian uh, tribe in Ecuador. Amazing story. If you want to read it, he was murdered for his faith. But the love of his spouse and the, his friend, who evangelized as well, spouse, who loved that tribe still, won that tribe over, right over their death. These are legends, and I think in a lot of times, I think like like these lists, it's unfortunate because we'll look at them and they intimidate us as Christians, and we say, well, like I'm not like that. So so so, so good for them. There are more. When the Bible says pray for laborers, because the laborers are few, right? We then pray for the laborers, and we're just like, yeah, you go to work. (laughs) And we're like, no, that's you. You're praying for you to join into the labor field. And I think one of the things is we will ask these questions. How can I witness like that? I guess we need pros to do it. But you know what? I'm going to debunk your theory that we may carry, is that you're wrong, because look at sports. Look at sports. Listen, I'll tell you what. It's those heroes, those people who are trailblazers who inspire us to actually pick up a ball. And we say, I want to be like that. And so we pick up a ball. And then we start practicing our moves out in the driveway, which are all junk moves, and we know it. But we don't care. And we pretend to shoot like Mike. And we pretend that we're actually beating Mike in a one-on-one invisible game. We actually participate in that, we will then participate in pickup games of which we will join in and practice our skill all the while knowing that you will not be MJ. All the while, but we still play. So, so, so I, I believe when it comes to Christianity, we have somehow done ourselves as believers, when we do this, a disservice where we remove ourselves from the sharing the gospel portion To give love and life in the love of Christ to others around us who are close to us. And we say, let a pro get them. Let let them get them. I can't participate. I won't even pick up the ball. That would be a shame if anybody did that. I I think this is true. And I want to tell you, you have to stop pre-disqualifying yourself. I don't even know if that's a word, but Google didn't check me on it. So it it is a word, I think. You have to stop pre-disqualifying yourself. To be able to share the gospel. Because here's what happens. <clears throat> we will experience what Moses did in Exodus 3. So I got to tell you the story. Because if you think you can pre-disqualify yourself to God, I'm just telling you, you're wrong. When God is calling you to something, which is a clear calling from believers, here's what, this is what happened. Moses, he's like, God, I, I, this is amazing, God. I, I, you're incredible. And God's like, yeah, 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 thanks, thanks. Um, now... I need you to go to Pharaoh and just tell him, and he's going to listen to you, to let my people go. Now, historically at that time, Egypt was at its prominence. It was like the United States is probably now in the world. It was the most dominant superpower of its time and maybe of the ancient world in general. And he's going to go to their leader. And he's going to say, hey, all these people who are your economic driving engine, who are building these monuments, who you have taken, you're going to let them go. He's having this argument with God for a second because God's telling him he's going to do that. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just like we will. You should read it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, um, God, like I'm like really bad at talking. You know what I mean? I'm just better with typing, you know what I mean? I just I'd rather just post on Facebook. I don't want to talk. And God's like, yeah, 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 okay. And and, and there's somebody better you can send. You should send someone else. But like I'll be cheering them on. Send a pro. I'm not a pro. And you know what's funny? If we think we can reason with God like that, and, and we can, but you're just going to get the same answer that Moses got. What did Moses, God say to Moses? Oh, okay. Um, that's great, great. I choose you, and you're going to go, and I'm with you, though, right? And so Moses then, he, he got, what Moses didn't realize is that God could have done it himself, but he involves us in the process of his deliverance for his people, I know you can say, Ryan, that's just God to the Israelites, his chosen people. But if God desires someone, like Christ said, he desires that not one be lost, then that is his desire for people. No different than then, God's heart is the same. He will send you, and he wants you to go personally, because he's not just going to do it himself. He invites us to join in. But as he's leaving, God's like, oh, yeah, Moses, don't forget your stick, because that's really going to help you against the greatest empire in the world. I, I, lo- I love the story because it's God is sending himself with Moses. But Moses could have done it. He'd said no, but he didn't. He chose to accept the task. I think this is is one concerning thing. Moses goes with the stick, and sometimes when I think about the stick, I think we always think about the Moses' staff, and it had all this power, like some kind of power in some fantasy story, right, of some object, but it it was nothing about that. We can hide behind things. We can think the tool is what does it, and this is a huge concern of mine, is that it's, it's the person who is wielding the tool, not the tool itself that will do the work. And we get, I get really concerned about this in Christian culture, I'm not going to lie, and I hope this doesn't hurt anybody's feeling, but I think a lot of times we are like, send the tools, uh, not, not the laborers. Right? The tool will do it. Oh, you want to know what the tool is, don't you? Watch this video, that will tell you everything. Read this book, it's really good, this really good book for you. I got it for you for Christmas, even though you didn't ask for it, watch when you read it, Right? <laughs> We do these things, or listen to this message, then you'll see. We get really caught up in the tools, and, and we think that they're going to do the work. Eventually, I know it's going to come to this, we're going to be like, okay, AI chatbot. bot, um, I want you to witness to my friend, so can you just, you know this is coming, can you witness to my friend? And on the other end, your friend will have an AI chat bot that is hearing the other, and they'll just, maybe the internet will get saved, I don't know. But it's not how it's supposed to be. Moses could have said, God, you do it. But God said, you're going. That's what we're called to do. We get caught up in these tools. As a kid, if you are my age or above, sorry, everybody who isn't. But you were spared from something, I believe, that was difficult. And that is a movie that was populated as a tool to win people to Christ more than relationally winning people to Christ. And that was a movie called A Thief in the Night. <laughs> I'm sorry if if, if you loved it. I, it. To me, as a child, it was terrifying. It was the story of the end times. And the deep in the night, I'll never forget it. As a kid, this put, put this picture on the screen. This is this is typical uh, of. Oh, put uh, my joke's not going to work. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's a lady screaming in terror as she realizes that everyone has been taken to heaven but her. (laughs) Yes. Well, I watched this as a kid, and I was brought into a group of uh, of people who said, this is going to get these kids to become believers. They did not do that for me at all. All it did for me is every time I came home and my entire family was doing something, I was like, ah, it, it happened. And I was terrified as a kid it was awful and at the very end there's a guillotine which I don't know why it came back from the medieval times but it then they started cutting heads off it was terrible it was a bad bad tool but for me the movie didn't win me it was a it was a, it was unfortunately I think a tool people were thinking that was going to do what won me was relationally but one you it was relationally. Fact two, you have an oikos. Every believer has what the Greeks called an oikos. The oikos was your social group. Actually, it was the oikos was the main part of Greek life, and and all throughout ancient history, and even now today, these are your people, your family, your friends, those who were close to you. Your oikos. Right, Every believer has one. These are the people who we love, and we know they love us. These are the people we respect, and they respect us. These are the people we like, and they like us. They know our heart, and we know their heart, and they trust our heart, and we trust their heart. These are the people God has brought in your life. You have a God-given oikos in your life, Right? God, I said God-given on purpose. God has placed you in this oikos, and this oikos is placed in your life. It's your God-given oikos. Uh, nothing says it better than Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I'll summarize a little bit, but I'll read you uh, some of it. This is when God calls Peter to Cornelius' oikos, his household, his home and so Peter is just minding his own business somewhere else, and then this centurion, this Roman soldier, this uh, 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 a Gentile, is is praying, and, and God eventually speaks to him and says, "Go get this guy Peter. He's going to come and share something with you." And then so he sends his men to go get Peter, and then Peter asks this question, like, "Why are you coming for me right now?" It's verse twenty-two. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed. He gives orders, now he's taking an order by the holy angel to send for you to come to his oikos, his house, and to hear what you have to say. So Cornelius is inviting the gospel into his oikos, verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends, his oikos. The gospel was coming to his house today. That is what we're meant to have in our oikos is a way the gospel can reach the people that we love and you are part of that process Cornelius was the most influential person in these people's lives that's why they came when he invited them and they knew this man they knew his family and he knew them they knew the kind of person he was his character and they had relationship with him that's why they came to hear the gospel and you know what he did? He did what was right by them. He introduced them to Christ. that changed their life and gave them a peace beyond all understanding. And they heard the gospel and it changed their life. He did, he did right by them. By bringing the gospel into their lives because he loved them. He didn't, he didn't need to do this for any other reason other than love. He was living just fine before. They became believers and they were baptized. The Oikos principle, I think, helps us so much, ultimately, to narrow our focus to closer to home. This is when we stop looking at all the big names, the stop looking at the world and go, wow, it's overwhelming. I could never reach the world. Um, You know, the best I can do is do a post on Facebook. We can stop looking at all that, and the Oikos principle helps us focus and narrow down to a place closer to home. It's easier to leave that to worry about the world's problems, but right at home is what God gave you. This is ultimately how the kingdom of heaven advances, one oikos at a time. It didn't do it any other way. Uh, You can't show me in scripture that it did either. Uh, I will refute you on that if that's the case. It's happened one oikos at a time. My concern is this. Okay, deep breath (laughs) it's easier i think for us to present the kind of christian we want to be to strangers than it is to the people who know us the most deeply and i think that the thing is is that we, that's uh, you have to remember you're not jesus you want to show up like you're jesus but you're not Jesus. People who accept and love you will accept all the messy parts of you. They will accept that you don't have it all together. They, they will be like, wow, you're really passionate about this faith thing that you have. They'll accept you because they love you. They know you're not Jesus because they know you. But it's so easy for Christians to do it. We want to do it all the time. But you're not Jesus, and we have to remember that. And I think this thing is, when we think about the oikos, you have to remember this, if you're, or cost-minded, is that we, we have to desire impact over perception. I think all Christians should really embrace that, impact over perception. It doesn't matter what people think of you if you're holy and perfect and wonderful. And it doesn't, it, because some of the things that we get from that, I'm not going to lie, makes us feel good because we feel like, yeah. People saw what I wanted them to see, but they should see all of you. And that's your oikos, because they do. And you know what they get to do when they see you as a person who is slowly transforming? Is they see a life in transformation, so there must be something to this Jesus you even follow. An imperfect person who is walking in the footsteps of Jesus, messy, making mistakes, but continually to strive, that is an inspiration to people. The last, thing, the last fact is this is you have the why, the, the why for your oikos. Do you guys remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? I hated this movie as a kid. I did. I'm not going to lie. Every time it would come on in Christmas, you're like, why this? What? Oh, I never appreciated it. I just was like, put on the true Christmas movie, Die Hard, and let's get going. Like, this is not a Christmas movie. And the funny thing about this movie is that you begin to gain a slow appreciation for the movie, I think, as you get older. And, you, and actually, it's interesting. This, is, this movie right here is considered to be the most inspirational American movie ever made to date, still. That's unbelievable. When I think about this, I think, okay, wait a minute. The message behind the story is what's important. We have a person who didn't realize that he was impacting the lives around him and had influence in the lives around him. And his life seemingly was falling apart and things were going bad. But those who loved him the most, he didn't think that they would be there for him the most. And he was embarrassed of what's happened to his life. So George wants to end his life. And Clarence, the angel, wants some wings. And he saves his life. But what does he do with the story? He shows him a life if he never existed at all. And life for everyone who he loved, it wasn't better. And he got a great appreciation for joining back into his life. And all of his family and friends came and helped him. And it changed his life. When we don't see it, The why of the oikos that God has in our life, the reason we're there, we will think and we will act like they they, they don't know. They will never understand. And so we exit our faith part of their life. But, oh, man, we need to see it like that movie is if we were to remove that part of our life from the people who we love the most, their life will not be better off. Their life will not be better that you were absent in your faith. Their life will not. George found his why, and that was his passion. You know, uh, Simon Sinek is a great inspirational speaker, but he wrote a really good book called Starting With Why. I want to quote a part of his book, and he said, Working hard for something we do not care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. You, you know, I don't want to think about this? I think about uh, witnessing. When we we're, when we're, when we're don't really fully embrace what it is and the why of what we do, it will be stressful. You'll feel like an uncomfortable used car salesman selling something that you might, you don't know if it's a lemon or not. Right? And so we don't engage in sharing the gospel. But when we work hard for something we love, then it's a passion. You know, uh, we love Jesus, right? And we love our oikos, right? And so those passions meet. And so we should march forward in that. I'm going to read these last uh, several verses, and then we will um, begin to close in a little bit. Luke 14, Jesus is on a rant. And Luke is organizing these in a way that's going to culminate in something very, very big. But he starts in Luke 14, 34. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its savor, savor, flavor, I guess, with what what will be seasoned. It says, if it is fitter neither for soil nor the manure pile, and it is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. Meaning that if we're to be salt and light in the world, if we lose our light or dim our light or lose our flavor, it, it, it becomes useless. And we cannot be useless as believers. He who has an ear, let him hear. Luke 15, he really gets into it here. And it's, it's he's gathering with these tax collectors and these sinners, these outcasts, these people who would never be on the inn. And it leads into... Probably one of the best parables in the entire Bible. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to listen to Jesus. So the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This man brings people in who don't understand. This man brings people in who have purposefully chosen a life we don't agree with. And then Jesus told them this parable. He gave them a parable of the sheep, the lost sheep. And he leaves the 99 and goes after them. He gives them the parable of the woman who had 10 coins, lost one, and goes after it to find everywhere, searching in her house. And the parable of the lost son. These three parables, they belong together, but they're different. The parable of the sheep and the parable of the coin, they, they, they truly are linked. The parable of the sun tells a different story at a broader range, right? So when you read them, that's how you read them. And then when you read the coin and the sheep, the, co- the conclusion of the coin and the sheep is this, is that when something is lost and it's recovered, all of heaven celebrates. So there's something being communicated here. So when something is gone, you could say, oh, well, <laughs> that's on them. But all of heaven celebrates when we search tirelessly, work hard to bring it back into the fold. All of heaven celebrates. You'll read that at the end of each one of those parables. And the thing is, is that, you know, with the lost coin and the lost sheep, the, the whole question is inviting the reader into is will you celebrate like heaven celebrates for those who are lost. And in a way, it gears your heart for will you celebrate and be anticipating and hope to, to engage in that celebration yourself, right? When the person is lost. Listen to this from a commentary I read. Whether one will join the celebration is all important about these two parables here because it reveals whether one's relationships are based on merit or mercy, That's the best part of this quote. Those who find God's mercy offensive cannot celebrate with the angels when a sinner repents. Thus, they exclude themselves from God's grace. It's a powerful statement. All of heaven cheers. Are we on team heaven is what these parables are inviting us into. That's our why. If we... Go through life and we think this. We, we say things like this as Christians. Well, I just want to please the Lord. We hear what pleases the Lord. All of heaven celebrates when one lost person is retrieved. Listen, when the Lions win the Super Bowl, don't laugh. When the Lions, the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl. Just like this article that's not real, but someone published it in 2004, and, and God bless them, it was as if the Lions won the Super Bowl. It's the only way we can get it, it's through fake news, but still, when the Lions win the Super Bowl, can you imagine the celebration that will happen? Even people who aren't Lions fans will be like, oh, wow, finally, finally, they've, they've never won ever, and they're one of the oldest teams in the NFL. That's heaven. Every time, all the time. If you want to please God, I think we know what pleases God. That's the celebration that happens when Uncle Jim, who no one likes, but is hard, has a hard life and hates Christians, becomes a Christian. All of heaven celebrates. That's when your child makes the decision. All of heaven celebrates. Your work friend who says she's agnostic. That's when she's agnostic no more. That's when heaven celebrates. Your parents who didn't understand your faith when they understand. All of heaven celebrates. Your spouse who is ha- happy for you and your faith, but then one day understands the faith for themselves. That's when he- heaven celebrates. Your best friend who walked away from God and returns. That's when heaven celebrates. We should pay attention if we love to please God when heaven celebrates. Our why reason is that heaven celebrates. That's your why. A bonus is you love them. And you know what happens and why we celebrate? And why heaven celebrates? Because they are now part of God's oikos. He says, My house, part of my household. You will live with me in my oikos. That's why heaven celebrates, because someone comes into God's oikos. Last uh, parable. I'm going to read it, though. I want you to come with me through the whole parable. You know this parable well, but I'm going to point out a few details that are really, really good and really important. Luke 15, then Jesus brings the closer, right, to these religious people. He said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me in that culture, in that context, and maybe even in ours. Before the father dies, the son says, I want what you have, and I'm going to take it with me and leave. You know what that means? He means, you are no longer my father. He's divorcing himself from his family, his family name, taking the possessions, and moving on. He will not call him father anymore. And in most situations, the father would not call him son. He divided his property between them. Father, no questions asked. Not many days later, the son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Now, this is speaking right here to this group, and this Pharisees, about the Gentiles. God is after as well, not just them, not just the chosen. And it says, and there he squandered his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, now this is the pathway of someone who finally falls to their knees. He spent everything, and then, on top of that, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. Isn't that how it is? You come to this place, and you squandered everything, your friend, your family member, and then life hits them hard, and they fall to their knees. So he went and hired himself out uh, out uh, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. In the Jewish culture, this is a very big offensive abomination, essentially. and he was longing to feed. With the pods, these pods are historical. It's what they gave pigs. It was the leftover of leftovers. that had some nutrition in it, and it just gave it to the pigs. He was desiring to have just some of those that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This man is destitute. But when he came to himself, when he realized, what am I doing, there's so much more And this, he said, how many of my father's hiring servants have more than enough bread? Uh, But I perish here with hunger. This is the heart of someone who is desperately seeking. And I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is a broken person who has no idea who the father is. And he rose up and he came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he braced him and he kissed him. This story is about a son. And now we hear a son who doesn't want to be a son anymore and doesn't think he can be a son anymore. And this story is about a father who he misunderstood because the father is a compassionate, loving father Looking for this son. And he goes on to say. um, Well, he will go on to say in a minute. Hold on. (laughs) But when he was still a long way off, his father uh, saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, here comes the big speech. He's prepared. Here's the big one. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you know what the father says? You had me at father. Right? Because this is what the son had to learn. Is that he had to learn that he could call him father. He He had to learn how to be a son again. He had to learn to say the word father again. I'm not fit to be your son But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand, the one the son had taken off, and the shoes on his feet. All the reinstallment of what it means to be a son. Someone who lives so horribly and so disrespectful and offensive. Essentially this correlation to God. And God says, he's in my oikos now. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found, and they began to celebrate. Here we go, the celebration. Do you feel what's happening? Do you feel what pleases God? Do you understand the why behind why we share the gospel with our oikos? Now his older brother entered the third character. And we have to be careful, believers, to never be this older brother. It's tempting. His older brother was in the field, and he came, and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked these, uh, what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, back in that day, it was very rare when you were going to eat protein meat like that. So this was a very special occasion And this is very, very upsetting to this brother because he had received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, now, to us, maybe your kids talk to you a little bit disrespectful. You're like, listen, pops, right? Do you hear what's happening here? He does not call him father. He would always address him as father. So we have a son who doesn't feel he's fit to be called a son and has to learn to say father again. And we have a son who is angry and won't call him father. This is not good. But then it even gets worse. He said, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his when this son of yours came, now he can't even call this guy his brother. we got a real family dynamic happening here. And I think this if we look at it in the Christian world, we can tend to do this. We have to be careful of this dynamic. Who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to his son, you are always with me and always that, uh, sorry, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I love this little quote I read from a commentary about this particular passage. He says, if repentance for the prodigal son means learning to say father again, then the elder son, it means learning to say brother again. This is a powerful parable and probably one of the most profound pieces of Scripture in the Bible. This is what it, 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 our life is about. It's being able to call on the Father and helping others do that, but not being a person who says, you know what, they did their thing, they're on their own. They chose their life. And when we don't base our view of the people in our life on mercy, we will do it on merit, and we will disqualify them. And so that's your why, that those who are lost will learn to say father, and you will learn to say brother, sister. Let's bow our heads. You uh, are a witness. You have an oikos, that's for sure. And I hope after today, maybe you have a deeper understanding of your why. You know, I, I'm excited about this oikos series because I believe our church, I, I believe that our church is definitely ready to take the next step into embracing Loving, caring for their family, friends, co-workers, people who are in their life, and 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 being open to what God is going to do through you in that person's life. You'll find that when we're done, in the back of everybody's chair, there's a little card, and it's an Oikos card, and this is very very simple. You, you'll just take it with you. I would, and I would pray over it, and there's very basic instructions. A, just a list of names that you can put down there. People you know one day need to hear the gospel, maybe through you in some way, but we pray for them. And we pray, God, open up opportunities and doors for me to, to reach one of these people in my life. God, I ask that you increase my faith so I can take bold steps. I ask, God, that um, through my learning, I can understand the gospel more. I can have a word ready in the right season. But what I love about the Oikos principle is it, it, it's so very simple. And some people on your list might take 15 years. Some people on your list, God might open that door sooner than later. I don't know. But it's a very intentional, it's a way you can, like, if you put it in your Bible or on your fridge, it's a daily reminder to be praying for opportunities to be able to share the gospel one day so that they may be able to say father one day. And you may be able to say brother, sister one day. And all of heaven celebrates. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you as we go out, as we worship you today, God. We celebrate your heart like the heart of the father in the parable story. God, we celebrate your heart for humanity and not one person You desire to be lost, but God, that all will call you Father, and all will be in your oikos. And God, I ask that every one of us walk out today, and throughout this series, more and more inspired, more and more encouraged about our why, that we are a witness, and we have an oikos. And that's all we need. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with me this last song?